so I grew up in a small town. Some of y'all know me already, but uh, the youngest of three brothers. My two older brothers are both captain of our local high school football team. Both ended up playing college football. And so the short version of that is I didn't get picked on a lot growing up. But I do remember this one guy and this one time. And for the sake of the story, because who knows who's listening, we'll just call him Johnny Fisher. Uh, but I, by the time I became a teenager, I became pretty good at basketball. And so I would play with some of the older kids. And Johnny grew up with my older brother. And then my older brother went away to college. And I remember one week I was playing basketball at the park a ton. And Johnny would start to show up to play. And then Johnny would do the things that bullies do. He would start to mess with me. He would start to uh, pick on me and my friends. He would start to taunt us. And then eventually the day came where he, he became physical. So there was one day, if you all played basketball, I was taking the ball to the, into the lane and Donnie tripped me and then threw me down. Well, the, sh- the short version of the story is, uh, sorry. I'll get it together. Um, okay. My older brother, golly, I was weeping on the, on the beach thinking about this. My older brother happened to be home from college and he found out about it. And uh, we, so I'm there playing basketball and the next thing I know, sorry guys, I really didn't plan to weep at the opening of the sermon. <laughs> so the next thing I know, my brother pulls up in his Isuzu Amigo. But no, listen, he, he doesn't even, he just drives into the middle. Gosh, what is happening? He, he drives into the middle of the basketball game. And just like that, he gets out of the car. All of Johnny's friends are, they're, they're running. And um, I'll save you all the details, but needless to say, the, the bully problem got, got solved. Um, I think part of the reason I'm, I'm weeping right now is uh, obviously the story of my brother, but, <clears throat> you know, we come in this morning, every single one of us bullied. Every single human in this room has lived an entire life bullied. And the great bully of humanity is death. And the thing that really stinks about bullies is they taunt you and mock you. They pressure relationships. They hurt you physically. And so what I want to talk about this morning as we come to the end of 1 Corinthians 15 is as people who face the impending nature of death. That's another way of saying as people who are harassed daily by the reality of death, how can we have hope? And I'll just give you a preview. You know, a good answer to a bully is the return of a big brother. So this morning, we're going to be answering that question from uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 58. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If you don't, or you just prefer to, the text is included at the top of your sermon guide. Hear the word of the Lord. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. 
For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Again, the question we're answering this morning is, is people uh, who face the impending nature of death or who are harassed, harassed daily by death, how can we have hope? And Paul starts by making uh, the argument or, or, or demonstrating the fact that when Christ returns, what's gonna happen is all of those who belong to him are gonna be raised from the dead and all those who are still living who haven't died, who belong to him, will be transformed. But what I want you to hear this morning is listen to how he describes it. If you flip down to verse 42, so it is with the resurrection. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. You know, our lives are, so I, uh, Jen and I live out at the beach and I've begun making it a habit of walking up and down the sand in the mornings. And if you've been to the beach this fall or winter, you know that they've been doing the dune restoration project. Basically what that means is over decades, as the tide comes in, it crashes on the dunes and erodes the dunes. And then also big storms come through. And as we had Irma and Maria, and it kicks up all the waves, those, those bigger storms also do real violence to the dunes. And over time, the dunes get eroded and eroded and eroded until eventually they don't function anymore and they need, they need help. And see, our life is just like that. Because we live under uh, the reign of death, because we live liable to death, what happens is just, frankly, time. 
takes its toll on our bodies. It takes its toll on our psyche. It takes its toll on our relationships. And then there's sin, those huge storms of life where the stuff hits the fan and storms, make a, they make a mess out of our lives. Maybe addiction wrecks your body or maybe another type of sin wrecks your relationships. Whatever it is, the consequence of living life under death is our lives look a lot like the dunes, that they are perpetually being eroded and always in need of maintenance. But listen, here's what I want to point you to this morning. You know what Paul says? He says, when Christ returns, those of you who are in Christ who have died will be raised indestructible. I tried to think of analogy for this. Was it, was it like concrete or asphalt or what's the opposite of the erosion of the dunes? And, and I couldn't find one. And the reason I couldn't find one is because we don't know what that is like. Listen, when Christ comes back, you're just not gonna not be eligible for death. You're gonna not just not be liable for death. You are gonna be raised incapable of dying. We're gonna get to this later, but death isn't even gonna have the option of getting a hold on you. So first thing is you're gonna be raised completely alleviated of this problem. You're gonna be raised completely rescued from the bully, completely unable uh, to die. But he goes further. Paul says, it's not just that all the bad stuff will be removed from you. It's not just that what was destructible will become indestructible. He says, and I, uh, I, wish, you, I wish you could see um, some of the moves that Paul's making. If you just slow down and look at it really closely. He says, what's sown in dishonor he doesn't just say it's sown in honor. Did y'all catch that? He says what's sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What's sown in, in the Greek word, it says uh, what's sown in ah strength, like not strength. He doesn't just say it's raised in strength. He says it's raised in power. What's sown uh, natural, which is um, actually the word for our psyche or our soul, is raised spirit-ish. Look, what Paul's saying is when Christ comes back and those who belong to him are raised, it's not just that the bad is taken away, but everything that is good is culminated. You hear me on that? Listen, what's going to happen is you're, you're, um, today, if you're like, I'll give you a great example. My back has been hurting so much. And so um, I've needed to run some more. And as I've ran, it started to feel better. But when Christ comes back, not only is your body not going to hurt, but you're going to be able to do things you were never able to do before. Keith keeps telling me this story about, uh, y'all know The Incredibles, that movie? You know, the baby's born and he shoots those laser beams out of his eyeballs and the dad ducks and then he goes, you have powers. <laughs> Listen, this sounds like a fairy tale. What Paul is telling you is a future historical fact. You will be raised, if you belong to Christ, not able to die and in possession of capabilities and a state of being that is beyond what you can even imagine today. Which begs us the question, why? What's the purpose of that? And here's the thing, Isaiah 65 and then Revelation 21 both tell us the same thing. From the get-go, for the sake of his own glory and because it pleased him, God has been intending to make the heavens and the earth new. He is bringing a whole entire new environment. 
So it's not just that we die, but everything around us dies. Just regardless of where you fall out on this, just look at all the global warming studies. Our planet is under the reign of death. Our bodies are under the reign of death. Our, our relationships are exposed to death. But in Christ, God is bringing in entirely new heavens and earth. But here's the thing. What Paul is real clear about is in the body you're wearing today, you can't exist in that environment. You can't inherit that environment wearing what you're wearing today. It's, he makes this riff. He says, uh, it's a little bit like fish in the sea and birds for the air and stars for space and animals for land and man for the image of God. That in the same exact way that a fish can't live outside the sea, you won't be able to live in the kingdom of God wearing what you're wearing right now. So I just want to read to you, uh, don't, need, don't bother flipping there, but Revelation 21, just so you know where it's at. This is the way uh, the apostle John describes the coming of the new heavens and the new, the new earth at the return of Christ. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, listen, a place that has bricks and roads and buildings, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Listen, this is, this is the apostle John looking forward to the city that the new heavens and the new earth that's coming. And I want to point out a couple things to you. Here's what he says. He says, it's going to be physical. It is going to be relieved completely of death, pain, tears, and mourning. All the bad stuff's gone. And then it says that God himself will dwell in that city in the midst of man. That all the good will be culminated. That you as the image of God being made to dwell with God will be face to face with him. Listen, the reason that you're going to be given a body that can't die. And a body that's filled with new capabilities. Is because God is remaking this earth. And he is remaking this heavens. And he is going to give you a body that is going to enable you to engage with that environment and engage with him. All your new capabilities are about your intimacy with Christ. So what I want you to see this morning is that on the front, on the front, the, the front hand, as people who today deal with the harassment of death, there's a day coming. And when that day comes... And that day is the return of Christ. Those of you who are in Christ who have died will be raised to never again taste death. And all of you who mourn and weep and ache, all of that will be satisfied in the presence of God. Which leads us to our second question. How can we be sure? Who or what is it that secures this hope of our resurrection. And what I want to point you to first is verse 49. 
You know, in verse 49, Paul says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What's Paul talking about there? See, in the scriptures, uh, and Paul does this really frequently, but in the scriptures, they, they describe God's kingdom or God's economy as representative. And what they're saying there is that the reason that you today live in a body that's eligible for death and live in a world that's broken and creating death is because you're the child of two original parents called Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are not figurative, they're not fairy tale, they're historical facts. And here's what they did. They were made perfect, but then chose to rebel against God. And the way they chose to rebel against God was simple independence. They decided they wanted to have life on their own terms and the knowledge of good and evil on their own terms. And the consequence of that sin is two things. They died. And then everyone who came after them inherited their nature, inherited the ability to sin. Another way of saying this, we inherited the family business. But what God does with sin is sin earns the consequence of death. And so today your bodies are broken simply because of the reality of sin. But listen, if you're here this morning and you've placed your faith in Christ, what the script, Paul also talks about another thing in the beginning of this. What he says is that your representation has been shifted. He says, by faith, you've been united to Christ. What that means is your union to Adam has been severed and it's been replaced by union with Christ. And so Paul's making the argument that just as surely as you sit there today with your back hurting and your knee hurting and death coming and sin wrecking your relationship, I mean, just as certainly as my, my parents are here today, and if we stand them up and walk them up here after service, you'll look and you can see I wear their image. Just as certainly as I look like my dad or just as certainly as Caleb looks like me, when Christ returns, you are going to wear the image of Christ. The reason you can be sure that you'll never die is because Christ is never gonna die. And the reason you can be sure that you'll have a body that'll dwell with God is because Christ doesn't just dwell with God, he is God dwelling with us. And so when he comes back, all those who belong to him are gonna be given a body just like his. All right. <laughs> Second thing. And uh, I, I so appreciated the, um, the blessing this morning that, um, that I want you to, to see is that, um, you know, some of us as humans, we don't finish what we start. I'm guilty of this all the time. I like, I've been working on our hallway closet for like, well, we've been in the house like five months. So I've been working on it probably six months. And uh, I've been working on it in my brain, not with my hands. But Christ is not like that. Every single thing that Jesus starts, he finishes. And the reason is he doesn't start things he doesn't intend to finish. He starts with the end in mind. So I want to point you to verses 56 to 57. You can be absolutely sure that you are going to rise from the dead because Christ has already started. Here, 56 and 57, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul talking about? You know, we just talked about how the reason we dwell in the midst of death is because Adam and Eve sinned and then inherited, we inherited sin. 
what Paul's saying here is that um, sin's natural consequence is death, but then God gave a law not to create sin, but just to make sin clear and then to establish death as the natural consequence of that sin. Does that make sense? So God set up a law that said, here, you already have a problem, but I just want to make it clear to you. I could run through the Ten Commandments for you and see if any of us have ever broken any of them. And then establish that the immediate consequence of that, like cause and effect, is death. But how did, in verse 57, when it says, um, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we know Jesus as a man who dwelt among us, who bled, who was buried, who, who uh, remained for some time under death. But we also call him the king of heaven. We also call him God himself in the flesh who's coming to return. Why would the king of heaven step down into human history? And the reason is this. Christ was willing to humiliate himself because it pleased him to do so. And the thing that it pleased him to do was to come down and live an absolutely perfect life under the law. And then in his death, what he did, now listen, I want you to hear this because this is, if you are not, if you, if you listen to nothing else, hear this this morning. Everybody listening? Okay. The reason Christ died is when he came in the flesh, all those who belonged to him, he literally walked over and stripped them of possession of their sin. And then him being in possession of their sin went to the cross and exhausted God's wrath toward sin. The reason he did that was so that sin could be destroyed without those who belong to Christ being destroyed. Do you hear me? Okay, now how that relates to Christ finishing what he started is this. Christ stepped down into history to share your humiliation because he fully intends for you to share in his glorification. The reason he did it is again, because he's making a new heavens and a new earth and a new humanity to be his image in that new heavens and his new earth. Okay, just as certain as you are sitting there today and you have sin and we are gathered as a church, the people who believe we are forgiven of our sin and that our sin has been stripped from us, just as certainly as you stand here reconciled to God, you will wear a new body. And that new body will be Christ's new body. The reason you're gonna wear it is because Christ finishes what he starts. The third thing I wanna point you to is in verse 54 and 55, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Listen, this is after the perishable puts on imperishable, after the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that's written, oh, death, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Right before this, Paul just said, it's necessary. It must be so that the perishable puts on imperishable. Why? Why is it necessary? Why does it have to happen? You know why it has to happen? Because in his first coming, Christ has united himself to you. Caleb and I have been uh, reading this book lately. It's called uh, What to Do with a Problem. And it's a really, actually, if y'all have kids, it's a really great book. But basically there's this little boy and a problem starts, creeps up in his life and it starts chasing him around. 
and he tries to ignore it and he tries to hide from it and he tries, to, he does a lot, he tries to change himself, does a lot of stuff. And eventually he goes, I can't take it anymore. And he said, I decided what to do. Even though it was scary, I decided to face my problem and I tackled it. And I said, I'm laying in bed and I said, Caleb, if you ever have a problem, what do you, what do, you do? And he goes, I'm going to tackle it. And then he goes, no, no, no. I'm going to punch it in the face. And then after I punch it in the face, I'm going to poke its eye out. My point in that story is when Christ came the first time, we just sang it. When Christ came the first time and humiliated and submitted himself to death for a time and then got up out of the grave, you know what he did? He punched death in the face. That song we sing literally says he trampled over death by death. I don't know if y'all have ever seen someone getting trampled before, but death got trampled at the resurrection of Christ. But here's the thing. All of us who belong to Christ, he takes that seriously. He takes that personally. That as long as somebody or something that belongs to him remains under the harassment of death, Christ's victory is not complete. The third and final reason that you can be sure that when Christ comes back, if you belong to him, that you will rise never to die again and to be fully in the presence of God is this. Christ's own victory hangs in the balance. When Christ comes back, he's not gonna just punch death in the face. It says death is gonna be swallowed up in victory. And then it says that we're given the victory. What I want you to see on the first point is uh, everything about this, this, this experience, this the life terrorized by the bully of death, all the bad of it, there is coming a day that all the bad of it will be gone. And every single remnant of good will be culminated. And listen, if you have a hard time believing that this morning, the scriptures say that it's going to happen like that. It literally says you will blink and it will happen. What that means is that your, your present state of affairs aren't worth forecasting what the future is going to be like because it's not slow and coming. The only thing your pain has to do with the future today is to demonstrate to you what it's not going to be like. You hear that? It doesn't have anything to do with what the future is going to be like. So the first thing I wanted you to see is the future is going to be related to your experience, but completely unlike what you can imagine. The second thing I want you to see is your resurrection is absolutely true and certain and sure. And you know why? Because it is just not about you. It's about Jesus. <laughs> the king of heaven has come once to take a people for himself. And when he comes the second time, he's not just bringing a people, he's bringing a whole new creation. And he intends to, to inhabit that creation with his people. When Christ comes back, you are going to be raised by him to be like him so you can be with him. So what do we do? 
what do we do with the facts of Christ's first resurrection and our future resurrection? Paul says in verse eight, after a long riff, 57 verses, he sums it up in a verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I have this, uh, Jen and I bought an old house that's new to us. And in the, in the back patio, it has a screen. It's got a little screen enclosure. And um, it's been just, you know, it bothers us a little. And the reason it bothers us is because um, the sides are attached and the top is attached. But the screws have broken from the bottom that go into the concrete. And so that screened enclosure doesn't like blow away, but it rattles a bunch. And if like our daughter bumps into it or our dog bumps, it just, it's just annoying, you know, and it moves a lot. But when dad was coming down, I said, hey, dad, do you have a hammer drill? And he's like, yeah, what do you need a hammer drill for? I said, well, I'm fixing to shoot a screw into concrete. And my purpose for that is to reattach the bottom of this screen to the concrete. As soon as I shoot new bolts through the bottom of that screen, the only place that that screen is going is wherever that bolt lets it. You got that? It will only move as far as the bolt allows it to move. What Paul says here in response to the resurrection is fasten yourself down. Become immovable. In other words, what he's saying is, Dwell on, meditate on the reality of your bodily resurrection in Christ until it has gone all the way into the concrete of your heart and has gone all the way through the aluminum of your life so that your life will only budge as far as the future resurrection will allow it. What does that mean? It means a couple of things. It means if you're here this morning and you have not transferred your trust to Christ, I would encourage you to do that. The first thing it means to fasten yourself down with the facts of the resurrection is to realize that there is a different set of facts that you're dealing with. And what you're called to do with facts is believe them. What you're called to do with facts is to trust them. What I'm encouraging you to do this morning, if you're not in Christ, if you've never responded to him, is alleviate yourself of facing death on your own, take to yourself the merits of Christ and face death standing on Christ. Listen, I'll give you an analogy. Jen and I just bought this house I'm telling you about. If y'all didn't know this, the beach is super expensive. Do y'all know that? It's really expensive. And so we're figuring out our strategy for like, where are we gonna live? How are we gonna make it work? What, you know, and we're, and we're going, ah, I wish some rich person would just like sign the deed of their house over to me, you know, because church planters shouldn't live on the, on the water. Um, and then I was like, well, man, I still got to pay off this old mortgage. Do you know what the offer of Christ is in his first coming? Christ has offered to allow you to sign over the bad mortgage of your sin to him. I'm serious, he will take it. And then you being 
stripped down, no longer in possession of your sin, he has also offered to allow you to be the co-signer on the deed of his righteousness. Jen took our uh, new deed into the tax office to get like our homestead exemption worked out this week. They didn't want to see like our credentials as people or our moral behavior. They just wanted to see us in possession of the deed. And they wanted to see the cancellation of, of the mortgage of our old house. Listen, what's offered to you in Christ is to have the consequences of your sin completely taken away and for you to sign your name on the deed of his righteousness. If you've never done that, I'd encourage you to do that. If you need help knowing what that means, I'd encourage you to come talk to me, come talk to Keith, come find one of the elders. We'll have that conversation. We would love to help you. If you've already done that, if you're here this morning and you're like, Kevin, I've been walking with Jesus for decades. It remains for you to become immovable. Every single passion, instinct, fear, anxiety that you have is to be pressed against the bolt of the resurrection so that your life only moves as far as the resurrection will let you. That means that when, when the brokenness of your body taunts you, you cling to the fact that a day is coming when you will wear a body that is not capable of eroding. And what that does is that robs you of depression. That robs you of despair. And it restores you right now into the everlasting life that's going to come. So the first thing you do with this is you fasten yourself down with the facts. The second thing you do is, you know, um, the decisions we make in life are a consequence of the facts that we hold. And uh, if y'all, all the bankers are like stock market traders in here are going to know what I'm talking about. Y'all know insider trading? The reason it's illegal, well, y'all know it's illegal, right? Okay, it's illegal. It's illegal. Insider trading is this. Someone who's got insider information from a publicly traded company uses that to make a bet in the stock market. That's illegal. And the reason it's illegal is because it benefits the person who has the insider information. The reason it benefits them is they have a different set of facts than everybody else does. And because they have a different set of facts, they make a different set of decisions. Listen, being in Christ doesn't mean you have, a, it does, but it doesn't just mean that you have a different moral philosophy. It doesn't just mean you have a different worldview. If it means nothing, it means this. It means you are in possession of a different set of historical facts. The, the historical facts you are in possession of are God himself stepped down into history to strip you of your sin. He died for your sake, rose from the dead, victorious over death. And when he returns, you will share in that same exact victory. What Paul says, those insider facts, those insider training should cause you to do is to abound in the work of the Lord. It causes you, calls you to abound in the work of the Lord because you know it will not be in vain. 
The reason you know it's not in vain is because it's a fact. What's the work of the Lord? You know, Paul started this chapter by saying, stand firm unless you believed in vain. The first work of the Lord is to believe. Every single time that death or the devil or your own psyche accuses you of sin, accuses you of your failure, the resurrection of Christ guarantees your forgiveness. And do you know when you choose to ignore the easy move of fear and take the hard move of clinging to forgiveness, that's labor and it's not in vain. Do you know that uh, every single time that your work is gonna have moral consequences? Like some people are gonna be harmed and other people are gonna be benefited and you choose to love your neighbor, it's not in vain because Christ is coming back. You know, when you um, give of yourself for the sake of the gospel, when you get over your fear and you get over your anxiety, you do the labor of getting past yourself to walk across the street and share the gospel with your neighbor. Do you know that's not in vain? The reason it is not in vain is all those people who respond to the gospel when Jesus comes back are getting up in new bodies, wearing bodies that are like Christ. What I want you to see this morning is that your big brother's coming. Right now, you live under the harassment of death. He has already punched death in the face. And when he comes back, he is going to swallow death up in victory. And here's the thing. Just like your big brother, you are going to wake up. In a moment, you will blink your eyes and you will go from this mess to wearing Christ. Just as sure as you are today that you have been stripped of your sin and are clothed in his righteousness, you will also wear his body. You know what that means we should do in between the times? Right now, in between knowing that our big brother is bigger than our bully and waiting for the return of our big brother, what should we do? Fasten ourselves down to the reality of our big brother and his work. What that means is fasten yourself down to the work and merit and person of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our king. The church has said for a long time that you subdue us to yourself that our faith, our salvation, our response to you is a consequence of your work. It also says that you rule and defend us, that you shape our lives, and the church has said that you protect us. The church has even said that you restrain and conquer our enemies and yours. What the church has meant is that even now you restrain death, but a day is coming when you will conquer it completely. Your word says that right now, Christ, your victory is incomplete while we remain under death, but a day is coming. A day is coming when we will wear your body. And on that day, it'll be said that death is swallowed up in victory. And you with your church together will mock death, singing, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 
And so this morning, Christ, we plead with you as people who are harassed by death. And we beg you, Jesus, that you would come quickly. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would wed us in faith to Christ. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.